Welcome to Liberty's Talk, the podcast of Liberty's Journal. I'm Celeste Marcus, managing editor of Liberty's and the host of this podcast, on which I talk with our writers and the larger Liberty Circle about whatever is on our minds. On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Justin Smith, who is a professor of history and philosophy of science at the University of Paris, and also an essayist and an author, and Leon Wieseltier, the editor of Liberties, to discuss Justin's most recent essay for us, entitled The World as a Game, which is about the gamification of reality and the encroachment of algorithms and technology on more and more of human life. Justin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I'm delighted to be here. Leon, say hello. Hello. Hi, <laughs> Celeste. I'm very happy to be here, too. Okay, Justin, we're discussing your essay for us, which appeared in the most recent issue of Liberties, um, entitled The World as a Game, That's which right. is about the gamification of reality. So yes. just straight off the bat, can mm. you just tell us what the gamification of reality is, what it refers to? Well... I think this is a theme that I started to develop in my book that came out earlier this year called The Internet is Not What You Think It Is, which I had originally wanted to call Against the Algorithm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't fully develop it in the book, so it was a real uh, joy and a pleasure for me to be able to say all the things that I failed to say uh, in that book uh, within this essay, uh, and in particular to focus on the problem, as I see it, of the creep or of the fence jumping by which a, a kind of structure that has been perfected first and foremost on the internet and most familiarly in social media by which this structure has crept or leapt out of our computer screens and into other domains of our lives, such as, for example, labor, where an Uber driver is given video game-like incentives uh, to rack up points throughout his workday, or in uh, an Amazon warehouse, or indeed increasingly in um, finance. Uh, And in all sorts of domains of life, we have uh, this um, reconceptualization of what we're doing as a sort of game. And this is probably most developed in those countries like China that have a social credit system that effectively requires you to think of everything in terms, everything you do throughout your day in terms of getting points docked, right? Should I Mm. jaywalk right here and show up at my parole officer's uh, desk uh, on time but lose two points for jaywalking? Or should I go to the intersection and uh, lose three points for showing up late? Things like that. Your whole life becomes a game. Now, Mm -hmm. what I wanted to argue in particular about uh, this uh, widespread and very fashionable argument known as the simulation argument 
that has been promoted by philosophers, some philosophers for a while now, like Nick Bostrom at Oxford, that has been celebrated by uh, Bill Gates and Elon Musk, uh, and that recently has been developed at uh, book length uh, by the philosopher David Chalmers, the simulation argument according to which our world is a matrix-like virtual or digital uh, projection. What I want to say is that this is effectively a further uh, effect of the spread of uh, algorithmic structures from our experience, from our online experience into our lives, where it's now not just structuring our work lives or our social credit, but it's structuring our ontology, right? It's structuring what we actually think the world is uh, like in itself. And that is, I would say, going more than one step too far. Okay, Justin, so... Justin, yeah. do you remember, remember about 20 or 30 years ago when simulacra used to be a bad thing? Yeah. Mm. And yeah, yeah, yeah. we're always warned against it being a, a, a further layer of unreality. And yeah. the most critical thing you could say about... Well, what's his name? It was Lyotard, I think, right? Uh, Baudrillard. Baudrillard. Jean, Jean Baudrillard, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Right? Mm -hmm. And it was yeah. something we was all had answer. to run from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is interesting. I, I mentioned this in the essay. Of uh, course, yeah. uh, uh, you know, the, the Wachowski siblings in making The Matrix in right. 1999 give a little Easter egg shout out to... Baudrillard's uh, simulacra and simulation. Um, and I think, you know, for them, it was just a, a funny, quirky little thing to do. They didn't want to be uh, uh, overly theoretical in what is in the end just, you know, a, an action flick. Um, mm. But this is subsequently, uh, I think, uh, something that people have run with. Um, and that Chalmers takes up in his book, uh, Reality Plus, and this book, constitutes the kind of the core of my own essay. Um, and I think one thing that Chalmers misses about uh, the history of the reception of Baudrillard is that Baudrillard did not think this was a good thing at all. That's right. Um, right. He thought when he said the Iraq war didn't happen, he didn't mean that it was just a video game simulation. He said that mass media representation of war from a distance uh, moves us into a position where we can't perceive war as real any longer. And that's a problem for Baudrillard, not a good thing. Right, right, right. He now so, looks very sympathetic, doesn't he? Yeah, 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 he didn't at the time, but he does now. <laughs> so there are two different things here. There is the, like, the encroachment of gamification in actual human life which is kind of an organizing principle. It's a way yeah. of making people behave in a certain way. And then there is this other thing, which is related. Um, and I guess it's a way, like we think about that. And certainly if you're, if you're, if, if you're a model for it is China, it's mm. easy to be afraid of that. Yeah. Um, but it's this strange thing. The simulation is kind of the simulation argument um, is, is, symptomatic of a kind of sympathy for this encroachment mm. it's like yeah 
yeah, this thing that we should definitely be afraid of and that we should be, we should be trying as best we can to um, mm. sequester certain sections of human life away from it so that we can yeah. have something that is, um, you know, immediate and, and actual, whatever that means. But right. this argument is actually saying, it feels as if it's trying to yeah. say that, yeah. like, that. the it's already over. There's none of yeah. that left. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah, that, the, okay. That ship has sailed. Uh, there's nothing to do now but embrace it. Yeah, right. one, does, one does get that feeling. And the, it's curious because, you know, our own form of social credit uh, is, it seems to me anyway, and this is controversial, but is gradually emerging under the banner of what is sometimes called uh, 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 liberal paternalism, otherwise known as nudging, right? I was going to so, say, nudging? Um, right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, actually, that liberal paternalism is the term that French political philosophers, or le paternalisme libéral, is uh, the mm. term that they're using in France to translate nudge. French? But you're wow. also increasingly hearing French people just say, Le nudge. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. um, Do they so, mean it? To, it's a, is it a yeah, derogatory yeah. translation, or is it just that's the word no, that they no, use? No, no, that's just that's just the word they use because it sounds. Well, Sunstein and Thaler, like, in, the, in the preface to their book, explicitly call it libertarian paternalism. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 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 They're quite, op- they're quite open about it. Interesting. Interesting. Somehow, that's interesting. Somehow, the French have. Uh, have condensed that from libertarianism to liberalism. Well, it's like it's like Le Big Mac. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, That's what it's right, like. right, right. The right. nudge, the chicken. Yeah, you can trace. You know, the... but there's one there's one thing I what we that bug the thing that that I most that most troubles me about all of this yeah. when I see what's happening out there with the the technological advances in virtual reality and so on. Mm-hmm. The question I want to ask is. Why, or rather, who in their right mind would be really interested or turned on by this? Well, in other words, I mean, you know, because basically the whole idea of virtual reality and we what you might call algorithmic imagination, though I mm-hmm. think that's an oxymoron, yeah. really goes belongs in the history of our wrestling with our sense of reality. Yeah. Right? And yeah. Sometimes we want reality close and sometimes we want it far and we have certain particular problems with reality. Mm. So, for example, you know, in the pre-Socratics and Plato, Mm. their problem was that they didn't trust the reports. They didn't trust what reality appeared to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They made this distinction between reality and appearances. And then they tried to get beyond appearances to an inner reality to get Mm. away from illusion. What we're doing now is exactly the opposite, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is we are um, we're taking reality, perceptible yeah. reality, and enhancing it and magnifying it yeah. by means of an illusion, with you yeah. know a, a conscious illusion. And um, there's something, um, Creepy. you know, I, 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 so, someone once said to me that you can measure the danger, uh, the danger level in a culture by the state of its sense of reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah. you know, people who want to wear that, 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 whatever, they, the mask, the virtual reality mask, I've only uh-huh. worn it once. Yeah. And it strikes me that 
it even though it brings rea- it, it it makes reality or it makes the illusion more vivid mm. it, it's really an expression of a fear of reality yeah it's, yeah it's, it's, it's a distancing mechanism yeah, yeah yeah well i mean look i i'm inclined to agree with part of chalmers's argument that in the end it is a philosophically intractable problem what we're talking about when we talk about the external world. Yeah, and this has been, uh, this conviction has been deepened by the past hundred and some odd years of theoretical physics that the world in itself um, looks nothing like what we take it to be. Right. And given that, um, there is in principle no reason why we should recoil at the thought that the world is uh, digital, right? That, um, that you get, as Chalmers likes to put it, it's from bits, right? Um, right. I don't have any problem with that. Because um, well, it's an old um, kind of argument. Yeah, right. but the, what gets me is something that I think you just articulated, that you know, this is an old uh, reflection uh, when people realize that the external world is nothing like we take it to be in a kind of elementary way consisting in mid-sized physical objects, stuff like that, um, that's an old line of thought, right? Yeah. But what's so strange about... I mean, this, said that the world is yeah, water. Yeah, for example, yeah. So what's so strange about this new, um, and, you know, many people have referred to it as Silicon Valley Gnosticism, and I think mm-hmm. that's, that's very, very um, appropriate. Mm-hmm. What's so strange about this is that they're taking a fairly banal object of our contemporary reality, a particular technological artifact that we value very highly, and saying, this little artifact that has only been around since the 1970s or whatever, on home computing, that's actually the key to understanding the nature of the universe as a whole. That seems to me like, you know, a uh, 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 rather bold extrapolation and not totally different from something other cultures do, you know, when uh, mythologists in different cultures say that, you know, the, the cosmos is a chariot or whatever. What does that show you? It shows you they really value chariots. And well, but they would presumably respond that this is how we've always proceeded when a new scientific paradigm has been let loose. Mm, yeah, yeah, we sure. The discovery of, uh, we find, we discover a new way to look at things, and then we go back and reinterpret everything in the light sure. of what we've just discovered. Sure, um, sure. Yeah. But, but this yeah. isn't, I mean, I guess I want to say two things in response to what you just said, Justin. The mm-hmm, first is mm-hmm. that you're starting with the part of Chalmers' argument that you have respect for Mm-hmm. is is an observation about reality that is um deeply unsettling because mm-hmm. because it kind of it's it's so fundamental that it makes everything it, it, it makes everything fall away but it also mm-hmm. makes the possibilities seem infinite in terms of yeah. what we can extrapolate from it and yeah. so it's very it's um you know it should make you feel sort of thrown you should feel mm-hmm. you should feel really provoked by that by that mm. observation that we just mm. don't know. The reality of other minds is really something that we can never know about. Mm. We can't even know about the limits of our own minds. That mm. that observation was as radical when Descartes made it as it is when yeah. we do. And yeah. it's, you know, that is, it makes us feel very insecure. 
Yeah, and it's yeah. very strange that the response to that, the impulse that they seem to have, Chalmers at, at all seem to have, mm-hmm. in order to mitigate that, it feels it feels to me like they're trying to mitigate this fear, mm-hmm. is to, to come up with a solution that solves everything. And so not only yeah. does it does it make it feel like reality is far less expansive, it makes it feel like mm-hmm. reality is completely flattened into yeah. a sphere that we created. I mean, if yeah. reality is just technology, that's something that we built. So there's nothing about it conceivably that we wouldn't be able to understand. Right, so right, it's right. like the beginning is this question that we all have sympathy for because it's so fundamental. And then the response mm-hmm. to it is like a non sequitur that <laughs> quashes any kind of fear. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's um, very interesting. Yeah. 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 I see that. Of course, I mean, it's not, it wouldn't be a reality that we built according to people who defend the simulation argument. It would be a reality that our creators built um, the technologists who created the simulation that we are, uh, uh, of which we're part of the, the current. Oh, I see. That's a very, um, so we're not even a, humans, according um, to the definition that we understand. Right. According to most versions of the simulation argument, the idea is that, um, you know, we, as we become a technologically advanced society, um, mm-hmm. You'll note that we like to run simulations of things like weather patterns or, you know, the, the hydrodynamics of rivers. and or war like games. That. Or war games. War games. That's another good example. We also like to build or uh, construct uh, digital uh, 3D maps of 17th century Paris or London, things like that. Mm-hmm. So the argument is that eventually we're just going to keep getting better at this. And these simulations are going to get more and more fine grained to the point where eventually we'll be running a simulation of the entire observable universe. And once we're doing that, um, it stands to reason that we'll also get fine grained in the, so to speak, atom for atom or neuron for neuron simulation of every person who has ever existed, right? And so once you're doing that, then it stands to reason that if they think, not I don't think, yeah. that if, if the simulation is fine-grained enough, the individual human beings simulated are going to start thinking, hey, isn't this a marvelous world I'm in? <laughs> Just like we do, right? So but of that, course what will stand in their way ironically enough, is physical reality because yeah. there will be, there will, what about, there will be people who will opt out of this, who may not oh. want to wear the contract. Interesting, yeah. That's so interesting. I hadn't thought about that. But, yeah. but also just yeah. that the fact that our simulations are really um, rudimentary at this point. Yeah. So yeah. that's like, that feels like a big, that feels like I mean, a, a big that's concession. A, that's another really good point that, you know, I mean, I actually, you know, I have a friend whom I admire very much who is a Google AI researcher who Mm. is much more optimistic than I am about um, the possibility of incipient consciousness in uh, large language modules. Well, he would be, wouldn't he? Yeah. Um, But, you know, I I mean, he, he, he listens respectfully to the alternative view And it's been really interesting to talk with him and to kind of hash out our differences because I am inclined to be far less impressed by a computer's ability to um, give natural language sounding uh, responses to questions. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And uh, uh, this, my, my skepticism, I often feel, could just be a, a kind of side effect of the fact that I don't have skin in the game. I, I'm not invested mm-hmm. in, um, uh, in AI technologies doing what their most uh, enthusiastic proponents say they're going to do right Right. Um, and so i look i look at what the machine can can say in answer to a question and i'm just like yeah but that's just basically like autofill or uh you know uh uh did you see (laughs) did you see like there was recently i think it was in the atlantic i think it was the atlantic there was recently an essay about ai technology like ai capacity to write and like halfway through you find out that all you've been reading was generated by a computer yeah 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 i remember that yeah 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 that was the that was with gpt3 yeah Um, yeah and i just felt like i don't care that was yeah yeah. it just doesn't i I guess it doesn't it doesn't scare me and decade decade yeah decades ago I think John Searle, of all people, gave right. the best argument. You remember this, Leon? Uh, I do, it's, the, yeah. it's the best argument for why this shouldn't matter, right? Imagine you build like a you know a, a fifty meter tall iron juggernaut, and you put a football on top of it, and then mm-hmm. you roll it down a football field, and you have the opposing team try to knock it down, right? right. Yes, now, you could say. Oh no! That 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 iron that iron tower plays football better than we do. Right. And on some definition of playing football, it does right because right. it can it can get the ball down the field and you can't knock it down. And yet the idea that you should be worried about about it one upping you in playing football is absurd. Right. So we we really need to think if if there's any important respect in which. Um, Playing chess or writing fiction differs from football. Yeah, I'll give you. Well, I'll give another example, which is a far more macabre example, but I think Mm -hmm. it. I think it's relevant, so I'm just going to throw it out there. You know, Steven Spielberg wanted to shoot inside Auschwitz. He wanted to have a movie. You know this? Do you know the story? So, but they they told him. Schindler's List. He wanted to shoot it. Okay, they told him that he wasn't allowed to do that. So, a few miles from Auschwitz, there is a perfect replication of the camp mm, because he mm. built it for yeah. the movie and then he oh, left no. it there and it's well, still there. It's been, I'm not sure. I think it may have been taken down. I don't think so. All right. Anyway, we'll fact check afterwards. I've seen but pictures that's of it. Point. That's, not, that's not the point. The yeah. point, I mean, let's pretend for a second it hasn't been taken down and we'll fact check afterwards. If you <laughs> could go and visit Auschwitz and yeah. then go and visit the, Spiel, the Spielberg replication, those would mm-hmm. be two very different trips. Yeah, it doesn't matter that course. they look exactly the same, of course, right? Yeah, and yeah, it feels yeah. like that. It feels like that is a concession that anybody, any advocate yeah. of AI, should be able to make. Obviously, these are two very different artifacts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So well, this yeah. would be a good. Yeah. This would be a good moment to say a few mean things about algorithms. I thought you were going to say about Steven Spielberg, but no, maybe well, same that, thing. I mean, yeah. because you know, it's. Uh, I mean, aside from the obvious benefit Mm -hmm. of algorithms and VR stuff for specialized activities like the ability of surgeons to practice on things, Mm -hmm. you know, there are there are training. There will be some blessings, as there always are. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's always struck me that there isn't anything 
in the universe on God's earth that more exemplifies what we now like to call confirmation bias than mm. algorithms. Yeah. If you go on, if I go on Amazon, every once in a while, I get an Amazon, a, a ping, it's suggesting that I might be interested in a book that I looked at a week before. And I think yeah. to myself, give that algorithm a Nobel Prize. <laughs> right. I mean, Amazon knows what I've already looked at. It has mm -hmm. no idea that tomorrow I may suddenly want to see which of Chateaubriand's works are in English. Yeah, yeah. I, you yeah, know, that yeah. would be impressive yeah, yeah, if they yeah. could, if they could yeah. infer from the past, yeah. if they could imagine the future as a, that kind of inference from the past. Sometimes yeah. they yeah. can, as far I think. As I can see, algorithms are really just the most, the newest way of identifying mm. patterns in past experience yeah. and yeah. using those patterns predictively. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. We've, yeah. We've been, it's, a, it's not different in kind, it's different in degree. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've had this for, I mean, algorithms are, of course, uh, uh, an ancient uh, development, yeah. like a kind of um, uh, flowchart-style thinking. Right. Um, is possible without any technology to implement it at all. Um, but more recently, with technology, uh, it is uh, in, encroaching on domains of human activity that uh, are uh, that used to be, until recently, governed by a considerably greater degree of freedom. I think, and you made a point that I've been often making somewhat differently, which is the example of going into a used bookstore. You know, the kind where the yeah. owner the owner makes no effort to classify, or right. perhaps mm -hmm. classifies, uh, uh, categorizes according to his own inscrutable, quirky criteria, right. like Abby Warburg or something, right. something at a lower level. And you go in there, and it makes no sense. Um, and there is no algorithm behind it, and you make the most remarkable discoveries That's precisely yeah. in those circumstances. And we're really losing our opportunities to to discover things in that way. Well, that's and, the question, Justin. Mm -hmm. The question that we need to think about as a society, as a culture, is about is the value of discovery and the conditions for discovery. Yeah. Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. discovery is going to become as obsolete as serendipity. I'm not sure that human life can be adequately lived that way. Yeah, yeah. Wait, one hmm. point that I, I, I make in the, in the piece um, and that uh, has long interested me is the dual meaning of the term game or yeah. uh, in you know in German it's it's one word spiel that right. means both game and play. Right. Now in uh, philosophers like uh, Schiller, you have a kind of long reflection on the notion of play um, as kind of the ultimate expression of human freedom, right? Where well, in Heisinger, in Homo Ludens, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's another good example, yeah. yeah. So, you know, this long tradition of thinking about, about what we do as Homo Ludens, or when we're involved in a spiel, uh, so to speak, mm -hmm. so yeah. that's taken on a different meaning in English, um, uh, <laughs> where it's um, uh, uh, the ultimate expression of our non-algorithmic 
nature as human beings. Um, and it's as if since the, say, the 1960s, since they started to teach computers to play chess and checkers, and I think Norbert Wiener writes about this wonderfully, prophetically, in 1962, since that era, it's as if um, the, the notion of play has been entirely elbowed out by the notion of game in the sense of game theory, game theory. Uh, in, in the sense of whatever is structured according to rules, unlike the old sense of play, which was the thing you do just because you can, even though it's precipitated by no rule. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. this is, this is a, this is a, a major loss to, um, yeah. to no longer have that notion of play as as a as a as a defining element of human. Well, one life. can extend that and question the the notion that strategic thinking or thinking strategically is the best and most appropriate way to think about human mm. living. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm, you yeah. know, you see constantly. You know, if somebody in the university makes an argument about something, it's not an argument, it's a move. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, and it's, it's, and it strikes me that this, the, the, the deep penetration of the contemporary mind by this notion of strategy, um, mm -hmm. has as much to do with the infiltration of market vocabulary, yeah, 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 into sure. the way we think about our lives, sure. it, which as it does about the technology. I mean, this the marketization of yeah. our self conceptions yeah. preceded yeah. The, the the digital revolution. Yeah, 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 sure. And indeed, I mean, this is uh, 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 the kind of the way in which the new attention economy runs uh, is something that uh, was long and gradually developing over the course of the 20th century, long before the technologies of, um, of clickbait and so on were already there to really capture us. You know, they were learning how to manipulate our attention with well, and um, also to import into our private lives yeah notions of efficiency and productivity yeah that have no place in certain realms right 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 of that's course. strategic yeah. i mean yeah. it's uh you know and now if you want to sound smart at the aspen ideas festival <laughs> all you need to do is append the adjective strategic in front of yeah. anything Right, yeah, sure, you know, sure, sure. I mean, yeah, I'll have yeah. the strategic tuna fish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, it, yeah. and there are large realms where it doesn't belong. It just sure. doesn't. It belongs in war. It belongs mm -hmm. in business, which is yeah. like war, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what you're saying now, Leon, is almost another, uh, another uh, angle of attack uh, kind of repeating or uh, expressing the same idea that I just shared, which is um, that we're losing the notion of play in favor of the Absolutely. notion of game, right? Because what you're doing, you know, 
ideally in say your intimate life or your uh, internal uh, creative intellectual life is a free play of ideas where, where strategy, as you put it, is, uh, is a misplaced notion. Well, one of the features of play, I I assume is the renunciation of any, fantasy or ambition to complete control of the circumstance. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Like, yeah. It's like, you know, great potters, ceramicists, mm-hmm. you do everything you do, but then you put the bowl, the clay, the glaze into the fire. Yeah. And yeah. once it's in the fire, you cross your fingers. I mean, you, you know, you've you spent years getting used to how the fire operates, so you know right. the fire well, but you're not going to know, you're prepared to consign all your work into the hands of the fire yeah that's that's very different that's not strategic right 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 that's oh that's strategic yeah that's such a good uh, example i mean drawing uh long developing artisanal traditions into this and what we lose when we lose those yes uh is 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 also very illuminating i think yes you know? yes mm-hmm. um, so justin yes. it's interesting that there's kind of there are two parts to this conversation there's one part which is about how the simulation argument makes no sense because it's trying to explain all of reality according to a set of rules that we know can't explain mm-hmm. all of it and then there's the other side which is and also those rules really are you know colonializing the rest of human life so it's like mm-hmm. th- these are both true at the same time i guess it's for people who find the second half the the latter f- threatening yeah. Those are the people who would be rebuffed by the simulation argument. But for people right. who, who are excited by it, those are the kinds of people who would, would already want to cede everything to it. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You said before, you started to say before well, that... Can I just add one thing to what you just said? <laughs> sure. That, that, that latter case of those people, that's what I had in mind before. It's as if they want this, be, they're so... The reason people want control is always because they're afraid. Mm. Yes. There's a direct link between mm. the authoritarian, um, and I'm using that not in the grand political way, but you yeah. want to be an authoritarian about one's own life. Yeah, um, right. Sure. Yeah, the authoritarian absolutely. need to know everything and control everything, and the fear that, and the feeling that life is so terrifying and frightening and unpredictable mm-hmm. that the only thing you could do, the only thing, the only way to live in it is to master it in its entirety. Yeah. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's both that's wrong and dangerous. Well also uh, then yeah. you have to you can't master it in its entirety. So what you do is make up rules to confine as much right. as possible the experience of reality. And I guess Justin like the one obvious way mm-hmm. that this happens socially and maybe this is what you were saying before is mm-hmm. if you're on if your primary um social context is social media which lamentably for many people it is mm-hmm. um there's there's very little occasion to be startled or unsettled by a human experience because yeah. there are so many insipid rules and yeah. lots of nudging away from complexity and um serendipity etc towards uh a, like it's it's interesting because it's so rote. It's very mm-hmm. boring. Like you you mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. the kinds of things that are going to get a lot of positive feedback on places yeah. like Twitter. And yeah. it's it's you know I've seen the best minds of my generation absolutely <laughs> gutted because yeah, yeah. they've they've just reduced themselves yeah. to con- configuring the perfect tweet. And the perfect tweet yeah, is yeah. like 
really stupid, you know, that's, it's, it's, (laughs) it's, it's clever and shallow and sometimes often nasty. And the, the way that a person, even a person who hates it, the way that a person feels on social media Mm -hmm. is familiar versus like Mm -hmm. being in a social setting with people that you don't know, or even people you do know, but you don't know what they think about something and you have to read their expressions and respond to them, um, like on a human level. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. I think that's the difference right. that we're talking about, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean, I should say I, I, I'm far from practicing what I preach. Um, I'm <laughs> diagnosing a problem with, that is that has swept me up more than I would like in that I've largely retreated into a digital world myself. What do you mean? Um, and yeah, and I and this happened. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll think of your your podcast as a victim impact testimony. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and your I lived think experience. It, it happened to me um, mostly. I mean, it was greatly intensified. It was really a great leap forward or backward or sideways um, with um, with the pandemic. Yeah. And I think if that can happen to me, a full formed adult, um, (laughs) the the um, the 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 seriousness of this rupture for adolescents, I think, has not been fully measured yet. And it's huge. I've been talking to American students here in Paris um, who are on you know study abroad programs? They're, some of them are in their third year, and uh, it's the first time they've, they're, they're setting foot in a college class is this year, and they are so unhabituated to face to face interactions. It's terrifying. How does and, that manifest? You know, uh, just they they clearly don't know what. Uh, what to how to hold themselves in a back and forth conversation about ideas um there's no um kind of preparation for talking to a person and not knowing what they're going to say in a kind of a algorithmically modelable way right well, what, they do, what they do in those cases of course is create elaborate systems of mediations yeah. and filters yeah yeah prevent any direct encounter yeah uh, because people have become terrified of making a mistake or being in yeah or yeah yeah, I mean, yeah there's some sense in which they need to come with protection yeah yeah the yeah, yeah. 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 So they, 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 yeah, they interpret interactions in terms of our social identities yes. uh, rather than in terms of what the yes. content. Yeah. Spirit, yeah. Spirit condoms. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's hard, it's hard to break out of that when, when, you know, they come, you know, with their protection already on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I want to just refine one thing we've been saying, which is mm-hmm. that I think that, um, you know, given what we see in our political system and given what, or la- our political lack of system, mm-hmm. the anarchy that we're witnessing, um, and given certain tendencies in, in philosophy and, uh, and culture, it's important for us to distinguish, I think, bet- when we talk about rules, mm-hmm. to say that there are spheres of life that are rightly and necessarily rule-regulated, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there are spheres mm-hmm. of life 
in which regulation is misplaced. Yeah. And yeah. The, 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 the wisdom is to understand first that there are both those realms. Yeah. So that the regulators don't overrun everything, either yeah. digitally or otherwise. Yeah. And also that to learn to recognize the difference. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And this is, I think, yeah, that's a really good point because one of the uh, most terrifying to me uh, aspects of this technological great, great leap forward of 2020 um, is the um, what they called the work at home option, well, but which was in fact a transformation of the domestic intimate space into into a surveilled space, yes. um, and that there was not more resistance to that because it was also at the same time convenient to not right. have to commute anymore. Um, yes. Uh, we 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 let we let them in, <laughs> you know. We you know, we opened the door to this. And I once did some research. Don't ask why. I wanted to know about the origin. It had to do with information systems, and I wanted to know about the origin of the paperclip. And I uh -huh. discovered that the paperclip was invented when uh, when trains became there. Were, there were so many trains. And rail became so widespread that each of these trains had an index card. And in order for people to keep track and make schedules and so on, the paperclip was invented. As soon uh -huh. as the paperclip was invented, the index card was mass produced. And not uh -huh. long afterwards, you had the invention of something that used to be called, you will remember, the home office. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Remember? Mm -hmm. There used oh, wow. to be a room in your house, and you could, at one point, you could even get a tax deduction. Right, right, right. In which you could behave essentially as you do at the office. Mm -hmm. Now that your office is in your cell phone or on mm -hmm. your laptop, yeah. as you say, everything has been yeah. transformed into office space. Yeah, 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 everything. yeah, exactly, exactly. This is probably one of the kind of dimensions of a longer term and much larger transformation in the history of work, right? What's going yeah. to count as work. And we're still trying to talk about it in uh, the old regime's terms that just don't map on to what we're actually doing anymore at all. Um, well, I, I, I think that's right. But I think there's an even deeper debate that has to take place, mm -hmm. which is the one about just how much fulfillment should people find at work? Yeah. In other yeah, words, yeah. I mean, it was Marx, actually, in, mm -hmm. uh, in the 1844 manuscripts when he said that when he invented the idea of alienated labor because it didn't fulfill your so-called species being. Right. Mm -hmm. Since Marx, and this, of course, ironically played into the hands of capitalist managers. Right, right, right. Happy workers and, you know, Zuckerberg built, I don't know how many large acre garden on the roof of, of, <laughs> of Facebook. And right. there, are, there, yeah. are, there are, you know, basically the idea is to own the worker in his or her entirety by making right. him or her look to the workplace for his or her happiness. Right. There's right, a whole right, other right. way to look at work, which mm -hmm. is that it's an honorable way to put food on your table and, mm -hmm. and provide security for oneself mm -hmm. and the ones one loves. But it mm -hmm. is actually not the right domain in right. which to seek 
happiness right. and so forth. And for that reason, there should be an iron curtain that should. Be yeah, seen. right, 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 I mean, right. I, yeah, yeah. And the world has definitely gone in the exact opposite direction of what you're yeah, advocating in the, the past few years. In the way. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. And it's something we really have to discuss. When mm-hmm, people tell mm-hmm. me they're not satisfied at work, I say to them, well, what's your, if you're getting paid, you know, it, you uh-huh. know, welcome, wel- welcome to work. <laughs> uh, he doesn't no, like no. the office, Justin. It's okay. <laughs> I, won't, I won't take it personally. <laughs> um, this, this, this need to distinguish <laughs> among the realms is mm-hmm. really important. I mean, if you now look at, um, at, 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 at strategy, as if, if when strategy becomes the paradigm for making life decisions, yeah, then we're in yeah. trouble. Well, yeah. I also think the other point to make about the, the this observation, Leon, that you've just made, which is that um, every realm of life is being gamified, and yeah. there are places for it that are there are every the, where it one. makes sense and where it doesn't. I think that it's very important to point out that it it doesn't work, not just. Um, and on on uh, on the terms on which like a humanist would judge but also mm-hmm. just just like take the example of politics yeah. um the, the democrats in the last election most of them i think maybe with the exception of joe biden ran their campaigns off of twitter and they yeah. were using a kind of a, they were using um standards and metrics that that were based on what people on social media liked right. and they used that litmus test to to determine what they should mm-hmm. say in the debates and how shape, how shape they should structure their campaigns and it didn't mm-hmm. work because right. there will always be a significant portion of human life that is not governed by algorithms yeah yeah and so the, it yeah. misses something essential that will never be completely obliterated yeah. so you yeah. have to recognize that in other words the the thing that scares me is Again, about how many people and in what ways will they be able to opt out? Right. right yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I agree yeah. with you. I'm not. This isn't like a yeah. Pollyanna. Well, I'm just that, that, yeah. And this broaches what you just said. Broaches very important and scary questions about manipulation and seduction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. you know, when you look at the reception, the the adoption of the digital technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, we're past the dizziness now, but it's yeah. not as if people that those technologies were adopted thoughtfully to put it mildly. right, 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 right. It yeah, was, that's 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 the really the remarkable thing. It's hard to opt out right. when you are lulled in uh, so so sweetly that you don't even notice. Um, well, and, that's right. That's why, you know, I think that's what's Celeste, happening. Celeste knows this among Orthodox Jews. The joke mm-hmm. is that you use your digital stuff 24 six. Right. <laughs> That's true. There is yeah. one day in which you are divinely commanded to opt out. It's like the only <laughs> thing about Orthodox Judaism that I like every, every oh, two weeks I consider doing it again. <laughs> um, no, I think it's, a, right. I think it's a good point, but hmm. I also think it's important as you, as you just said, Leon, that the, the capacity to opt out is diminishing. And Justin yeah. talks about this in his essay. There hmm. are, there are increasingly too many professions that are, dependent yeah. on a certain kind of gamification. Right, the cost are yeah. too high to opt out. And- I yeah. mean, we're, yeah, we yeah. are all part of one of them. And yeah, I think yeah, it's, yeah. I think all of us 
certainly I do. I mean, I'm on Twitter. Justin's mm-hmm. on Twitter. Liana's blissfully not on Twitter. <laughs> but, um, you know, we see the way that the algorithms um, nudge writers Mm-hmm. to choose what they're going to write about, to choose how they present themselves, to choose yeah. how they interact with other writers. Yeah. And they yeah. do this because they have to, because yeah. they'll be hired yeah. or fired on the basis of, yeah. you know, how yeah. many followers they have, which I think is actually, is, that's true, right, Justin? I mean, it, it, it can be true. Yeah. It can, well, I remember can a time, Celeste, when you were told if you were applying for a job, you better have a a Google email, and if you're on Yahoo or someplace else, <laughs> right? Yeah, it yeah, begins. Yeah. Right. I mean, in I think in academia that you know people uh, are more and more uh, submitting paper download data uh-huh. yeah. in their tenure dossiers, and of course you can pay a click farm in Southeast Asia to download your paper right. over right. and over again, and it's it's um, such a um, such a empty shell of the original intention behind proving your scholarly influence. Well, you know, I get, um, this happens to me a lot lately. I get, you know, this thing, academia, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm not on it, but I get stuff from it. Yeah. You know, regularly I hear somebody has been reading this paper. Yeah. Somebody, yeah. Now I have put nothing on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, and I find that what I have to do is to resist my own curiosity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the yeah, temptation yeah. is, oh, 71 mentions today. I wonder yeah, who's yeah. looking at what. But uh-huh. if I do that, I'm <laughs> lost. Yeah. Then yeah, I'm right. Yeah, they'll pull you in. Well, we're already lost, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I think for myself, and I think probably for both of you as well, um, there's a, a space of freedom uh, that we can remain in uh, and go really against the grain because we are in a position in the world to allow us to do that. I feel really sorry for people who say just got a PhD this year or are just starting to try a, try out a career in journalism something like that, and who really have to submit to this yeah, regime. Yeah, that's correct. Um, that's right. uh, I, I don't feel sorry for myself. I, I, I think it's... I don't uh, feel sorry for you either. So. Me neither. <laughs> um, I feel lucky but, that we... Uh, I feel lucky that we're still part of... I mean, I'm, I'm young enough that I, I have peers who are subject to the same restrictions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's scary, because yeah. it's not... Yeah. You know, I can't tell them that it's in their heads. Yeah, You know, yeah, just yeah. putting it into the context of freedom is really important because something obvious just strikes me, which is, do you remember the, that, that the title of that book by Eric Fromm escape from freedom? Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It tur- I mean, it turns out that we're now live. If you look at the rise of authoritarianism in mm-hmm. the world, and you look at the rise of surveillance, either capitalism or communism. And if you look at, the rise of digitiz- the digitization of everything, you know, in the subterrestrial sublunar sphere and so <laughs> on. It turns out that what we're talking about here is one chapter in the larger ugly saga of an age that really is busily escaping freedom. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, in yeah, yeah. deep, deep way. Yeah, yeah, that's been my... Uh primary motivating concern in everything I've 
written and said so far about our current technological juncture. I think what's striking about the the chapter of this history that's unfolding in the United States and Western Europe is the way that the loss of freedom is the threat to freedom is sneaking in the back door, right? Being um, celebrated and being yeah, celebrated. yeah, yeah. It's not coming in the form of a brutal crackdown by a by, by a tyrant. It's coming in the form of little nudges. <laughs> little, well, little you know, the truth is, you know, just as in our in our country, we experienced propaganda. Not, not as political propaganda, but as advertising. Yeah. Just as mm-hmm. in our culture, things get co-opted, not so much by politics, but by entertainment. It yeah. was probably inevitable. Yeah. It was probably inevitable mm-hmm. that the th- greatest threat to our freedom as free individuals, as deciding individuals, would come not at the hands of a dictator, but yeah. at the hands of culture and society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess, you know, there, the, the versions of that argument uh, certainly were around in the pre-internet era. Yes. Um, and, you know, in the 80s, I was very familiar with the, the line according to which, you know, the boob tube is brainwashing right. us and, and so on. Uh, but I didn't give it much thought back then. It didn't really seem to matter. And maybe it's just because I was younger, but there's something about the intensification of this over the past decade that has brought me around to seeing this as the principal problem of our age. But I think one can make a distinction between technologies of activity and technologies of passivity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the technologies of passivity are the ones that we're worrying about here. Yeah. Because there Mm -hmm, are lots mm -hmm. of new technologies that allow you to do things and make things and so on. And that's that's wonderful. I mean, the better the hammer, the better the nail, the better the the object will be. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's about this this past, and in that sense, it really is. And that's why your TV uh, illusion is right. It's about the revolution of screens. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's right. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I but you know, I I think what counts as an active engagement with technology and what counts as passive is. Uh, sometimes difficult to pin down because I think in the 1990s, it seemed like um, the internet promised a revolution for the good in uh, media technology because it was two way, right? Uh, Bi-directional. And you didn't just sit there and, and, um, and suck up as from an IV, uh, whatever the media companies wanted to deliver to you, you were active. But somehow, this is, I, I did a, an interview with Die Zeit in Germany recently, yeah. and, and I, uh, we stumbled on during the interview uh, the term uh, televisionization or uh-huh. televisionification. I think over the past decade, we have seen a televisionization of, um, of the internet where it, the, the, the uh, potentials of it are being narrowed dramatically and turning it into something uh, in, in front of which we're much more passive, just like right. people worried about the boob tube in the 80s. Yeah, I think, I think that's exactly right. And the irony is that 
compared to the to the cultural totalitarians that the networks used to be that ABC, NBC, and CBS were, Google, Facebook, Microsoft. Th- this is by orders of magnitude. Yeah, a greater yeah. threat. You know, remember t- twenty years ago, the 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 the, ex- the exhilaration of the internet about the internet was accompanied by this feeling of emancipation from the so-called gatekeepers. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, I remember, exactly. Mm-hmm. I remember years ago I wrote a defense of gatekeepers because I was one. And now <laughs> you look around, if you want to know about gatekeepers, look at Zuckerberg and Gates and, yeah. and, and Bezos. I mean, we never sure. had anything like that before. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. It's, right. it's monolithic, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, it's hard to imagine that any mm-hmm. single human being would ever have so much power, power that was not given. I mean, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. From, yeah. from, from, from starting out rating how hot Harvard undergrads <laughs> are in your dormitory. Oh, exactly. Of, it's, it's just astounding. It def- yeah, what a it qualification. Defies well, belief. Yeah. I always knew no good would come from Harvard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, Justin. Thank you so much for this conversation. Yeah. This was great. Um, oh, it's been a real pleasure, yeah. And we'll and we have another. We'll do another one for the next essay. Thank you, Justin. We look forward to your next essay, which I think yeah. we can announce that it, its subject is the, hap- the, 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 the happiness seeking industry. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yes. Not unrelated to what we've been talking about. That's today. correct. I'll, I'll, and yeah. deceptively, mm-hmm. not a happy essay. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about happiness. Right. Yes, <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Cantankerous okay, yeah. nonetheless. All right. Thank you so okay, much. Thank right. you. Thanks. Thank you so Bye-bye. Much. Bye. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and you are not yet subscribed to Liberties, head over to libertiesjournal.com and correct that condition. Uh, And again, if you would like to read Justin's essay, it is up in front of the paywall. So uh, please enjoy.